Good job. Good, good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. I'm Pastor Chris. If you're here for the first time or tuning in online for the first time, if you look around, we got a number of people missing, uh, partly because we've got some uh, fathers and sons on a camping trip this weekend, uh, and and uh, so they're they're having a, a great time, many of them. And then and and then there's some. Uh, Folks who are sick, so we pray for both. We pray that uh, safe return for those who are on the camping trip and healing for those of you who are sick and probably online right now. Um, but yeah, open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue our series as told by a scoundrel. We're journeying through the book of Matthew. As of lately, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. This is a series of Jesus' teachings. Uh, he's talking about what it means to have the character of the kingdom of God. What does it mean to, to have the character of Jesus put inside of us by his spirit? The, the theme that we've been kind of zeroing in on is uh, resurrection character, we've been calling it. Resurrection character. What it means to be changed by the hope of the resurrection in the, in the future, and the power of the resurrection in, in the present. So like Easter, we talked about Jesus, he, he rose again. And, and he promises for those who, who trust in him that we're going to get bodies that will rise again in the future. And we've got spirits that have been resurrected in the present. And so Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount show us, well, this is what it looks like to be changed by that resurrection. This is the kind of character you should have if you've been changed by his resurrection power. So two weeks ago, we talked about freedom from anger. How, how God is not just after our external behavior. He's not after our uh, management of our um, anger. He's after the, the roots of anger. He wants to free us from the shame, the entitlement, the need to be in control that leads to anger. Last week, we talked about worry, freedom from worry. He's not just after us managing our anxiety. He's after the roots of our worry. What are we devoted to? What are we treasuring? Are those things secure? Or are we treasuring the things that are uh, insecure, that are perishable, that are fading? Today we're going to talk about freedom from revenge. Going off of the passage that Jennifer just read, Matthew 5, 38 to 48. Freedom from revenge. Loving our enemies. What do you do when somebody opposes you? What do you do when somebody's against you? What do you do? How do you love? How do you care for? How do you respond to a person who isn't treating you very kindly, whether that person is across the, the globe and is against your faith, maybe it's somebody who is in your family and is against your political philosophy, maybe it's somebody under your own roof who just is upset with you right now. What do you do? Um, John Stott, he's a theologian, he, he writes this, he said, nowhere is the challenge of the sermon, that's the Sermon on the Mount, greater Nowhere is the, distinction, the, the, the distinctness of the Christian counterculture more obvious. Nowhere is our need of the power of the Holy Spirit, whose first fruit is love, more compelling than, he's referring to this passage, loving your enemies and doing good to those who persecute you. Because it's so different. It's so counterculture. It's so not of this world. It's so unnatural to try to do good, to try to love somebody who is against us. Naturally, we want to get even. We want to retaliate when somebody wrongs us or offends us or bothers us in big ways and in subtle ways. Anybody passive-aggressive in here? You give these little passive-aggressive digs when you're upset with somebody? We all have a justice button. We all have a justice button. We don't want people getting away with wrongdoing, right? Right? That's why we love movies like The Equalizer, right? 
bad guy getting it. If the authorities aren't going to deal with it, I, I want a vigilante to go deal with it, right? Remember Death Wish, Charles Bronson, the original vigilante? What are some other movies about the uh, bad guys getting it? Was it? Batman, what? Dirty Harry. Somebody make me a list so I can watch some, some movies later. And we like good guys getting, you know, the innocent getting off, like Shawshank Redemption, right? That's, that's in all of us. God's wired us that way because God's a God of justice. The problem is that our justice gets distorted because of our sin and our rebellion against God. Our justice button gets a little distorted. And two things happen. Number one, whenever somebody disagrees with us or opposes us, we call it a justice issue, an injustice. Like it's, it's, it's not um, a, a super big exaggeration for me to uh, throw out this scenario. Maybe it's happened to you. I don't mean to offend you. But if a child doesn't get to play on a sports team because they're not that good, it's I wouldn't be surprised if the parent didn't call that oppression, tried to sue the coach, and, and made the coach their, their sworn arch enemy for the rest of their lives. Right? Everything's a justice issue these days. Somebody disagrees with you politically on social media, and boom, you're defriending them. They're not in my family anymore. How could they vote differently than me? Like it's a personal betrayal of you. Am I right? So, so uh, our justice button gets distorted, and anytime somebody d- disagrees with us, it becomes an injustice. And another thing that happens, even when somebody has done us wrong, our sense of um, justice and our desire for revenge w- makes us want to go over the top a little bit in making sure they pay. My daughter, Sienna, <laughs> I hope it's okay. She's actually sitting in service today. She had a dream recently that somebody was breaking into our house and I stopped them and I laid them down in the street and I had a car run over them. That was her dream. <laughs> and when I, when I heard that dream, I thought, that sounds about right. That sounds about, that's what I would want to do to somebody. Now that's a little over the top. I could go to jail for that. Somebody trying to steal a TV, and I'm like, you're going to get run over, and every limb is going to get carved, right? That's over the top, and that's our, but there's something about that that makes me feel justified in that. We have a sense of justice that has been distorted because of our sin, and we want people to pay. We want to get them back, and even Christians, even Christians have this, and it can get out of control. And that's why John Stott pointed out, this, is, this, of all things, makes Christians stand out when they can love their enemies, and they can do good to those who harm them, because even Christians struggle with this. Even Christians who claim, who say on paper, I believe this Sermon on the Mount stuff, on paper we say we believe it, but then once we're offended, once we're bothered, once somebody bothers us, then it's like, well, I don't think it applies to me in this situation. So, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into this passage. We're going to talk about what it looks like, whether there are people who are against our political ideas, our Christian faith, friends who betray us, spouses who mistreat us, kids who rebel against us, parents who've abused us. What does it mean to love them? Let's jump into it. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
I just lost my place. Oh, there we go. Uh, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So when Jesus said, you have heard that it was said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that is from the Old Testament. That's from the law of Moses. That is true. It was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But that was referring to civil law. Israel was a theocracy. God was their king. They had judges to decide on cases. And so when somebody did harm to your property or, or to, your, to your body, th- there, was, there was societal laws for them to, um, number one, deal, dish out justice, but also make sure people didn't go too far in retaliation. To make sure that people didn't steal a TV and then get run over by a car, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You don't, you don't, you don't lose a tooth and then you knock out somebody's eye. It was, it was partly to make sure to restrain people from going too far with retaliation. So it was a societal, civil law. But by the time of Jesus' day, what was happening was that the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, were taking that, 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 that civil law, and they were expanding it to personal retribution. And they were saying, well, yeah, if somebody bothers me, I can do exactly, basically what I want to do back to them, to hurt them, to make sure that they, that they pay. And so they use it to justify personal revenge. And so when Jesus says, I tell you, but I tell you, he's not contradicting the law of Moses. He's not saying that stuff from the Old Testament doesn't apply anymore. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that I'm going to reinterpret that for you so that you understand it properly the way it was meant to be interpreted. And that is that when it comes to personal matters, I don't want you to resist an evil person. And he's not saying... That when somebody harms you, you're, you are to call it good or to pretend like it's not evil. He calls it evil. They've done you evil. Let's assume that they've done you evil, he's saying. Let's assume that. And then what do you do? You don't resist them. And that has the idea of you don't seek retaliation, personal vengeance. And then he gives a few specific examples of how this might play out. First, if someone slaps you on the, on the right cheek, turn to them uh, the other also. That was not about a physical attack or assault. That was about a, a personal insult. When it, was, it would be a backhanded slap. It would be a, an insult, a public insult, a shaming, an embarrassment. Um, commentator David Guzik says this, When Jesus speaks of a slap on your right cheek, it was culturally understood as a deep insult, not a physical attack. Jesus does not mean that if someone hits you across the side of your head with a baseball bat, that you should allow them to then hit the left side. It was an insult. And Jesus is saying, take the insult. Don't try to retaliate with another insult. Somebody slanders you on social media, don't try to slander them back. Don't get into that comment, you know, back and forth nonsense. Somebody spreads a rumor about you at school, don't try to spread another rumor that's worse. Take it, eat it, absorb it. And then he gives another example. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand your coat as well. So, in that time, your outer coat, they, somebody could sue you, but they couldn't sue you for your outer garment. You needed that. It was a, you needed that to, to stay warm in the daytime. It was a blanket at night. So somebody couldn't sue you for your outer, they could sue you for your tunic. They could take that. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, just let them have your coat too. Like, don't cling so much to your rights. Don't cling to, I have a right to this. I have a right. I'm, this is mine. That's what Jesus, that's what the idea here. Jesus saying, just don't cling so much to your stuff. Charles Spurgeon, who was a 19th century preacher in England, 
So the 1900s, late 1800s, he, he says this uh, about this passage. He said, yet even in a country where justice can be had, we are not to resort to law for every personal wrong. We should rather endure to be put upon than to be forever crying out, I'll bring an action. In other words, he's saying, don't be the guy that's always saying, I'm going to sue, I'm going to sue, I'm going to get my rights. Don't be that guy. Not if you belong to the kingdom of Jesus. Not if you've been resurrected. Not if you've got his kingdom. Not if you've got a father in heaven looking out for you. You don't have to run around saying, I'll sue, I'll sue, I'll get even. The next verse. Next scenario. Verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. But what the, the, in, in that time, a Roman soldier could take a Jew and say, hey, you are, I want you to carry my stuff, my pack, one mile. And they were legally required to do that. And you could imagine the bitterness. You could imagine the, man, this isn't fair. And so, what is Jesus saying? Don't fight back against them, number one, but also don't reluctantly do it out of bitterness, hating them the whole while. He's saying, take control. Take matters into your own hands by going an extra mile. Take control by saying, instead of letting you manipulate me and control me, I'm going to turn this into a free act of grace. You want me to go one mile? Let's go, let's go two miles. Let me get to know you. Let me see how your day is. What's it like being a soldier, right? That kind of thing. So if your boss tells you at work, clean up the, 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 the staff kitchen after the party, and you're like, hey, that's not part of my job description, don't do that. Be like, yeah, I, I'll take care of that. Can I vacuum your office too? Is there anything else you need done? Take control by going the extra mile. Don't, do, don't be begrudging about it bitter about it. Why? Because you belong to a different kingdom. You can be treated like a slave on this earth because you know that you're part of another kingdom. It's okay. You don't have to scream about, no, I'm above this. I'm above that. It's not part of my job description. Why should I have to do that? Don't be that guy, Jesus is saying. And then finally, verse 42, give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. One of the reasons why we don't give is because we're always thinking in our head they don't deserve it, they're going to waste it, they're going to squander it, etc., etc., etc. And Jesus is like, again, don't cling so much to your stuff. Hold it loosely. Hold it loosely. Now, he is not giving an exhaustive list of every case scenario, and this is, you know, these are the only four situations where you can, you know, to not uh, retaliate. He's not saying that. He, this, these are just examples. The principle is don't seek personal vengeance. Don't seek personal retaliation. That's, that's, that's the principle that's, that's intact here. So it could apply to many different things. couple qualifiers. He, again, he's not uh, saying, um, when he says resist do not resist the evil person. He's not saying, allow yourself to be dragged into evil. So somebody tries to get you to rob a bank with them? <laughs> say, no, I ain't going to do that. You, you resist that. Resist that temptation or whatever it is. Don't be dragged into evil. It's, it's the idea of retaliation. He's also not contradicting, again, he's not contradicting the law of Moses. He's not contradicting the need for the government to restrain evil and dish out justice. We see in Romans 13, we are to honor the emperor, we are to submit to governing authorities. So there is a place for the government to restrain evil, to, 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 to bring down the hammer on people. And so there's, there will be a tension at times when a crime has been committed. How do you show love for an enemy while at the same time, sometimes allowing that enemy to 
deal with the consequences legally under the law. There's a tension sometimes. But the idea is to not take action out of a personal desire for retribution. So if you have a family member that's planning a school shooting, for, perhaps, and you find out about it, you don't say, well, the gracious thing is to let them slide. Call the police. Report them, right? If there's a church leader who's guilty of a sex crime, report it. Not, he's not saying let them go. Um, I remember listening to an interview with uh, the father of one of the kids killed in Columbine. Uh, Rachel Scott was her name. She was uh, one of the first ones killed. And the father, he was a Christian, and he was being interviewed uh, about it. And, and he said, he said if, if, if Eric and Dylan, the shooters, if they lived, they, I, I, I forgive them, but I wouldn't pardon them. Like, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want them to be let go. They, they need to do time. For this. They need to be put in jail. They need to be put away for this. But I'd forgive them. And so there's a difference, right? They need to suffer the consequences, but I don't, I don't have this bitterness towards them where I want to see them suffer and I need to see revenge. But under the laws of the land, they need to pay a price for this. So there's a difference. And, and sometimes navigating that difference is, is tricky, but we can do it with the wisdom of, of God. Um... There's also times when boundaries need to be put up. Somebody, somebody's done, done you wrong, and it's love for that person that you put up boundaries. So, so sometimes, uh, you know, that, that means when there's addiction, when there's abuse, there's the authorities getting get called, uh, interventions happen. I've encouraged spouses to separate from their spouses for a time. Not, not, not so that it would lead to divorce, but so that it would lead to reconciliation and restoration. And sometimes the separation is what will get the other spouse to wake up and get the help they need. But I've always qualified it by saying don't separate out of a desire to retaliate and get even and stick it to them. It's, it's got to be out of love. I love you. I love us. I want to see this work. We need to separate for time. There's, there's, there's times for boundaries. There's times for interventions. There's times for those things. But Jesus, what, what he's getting at is don't take action out of a desire for retaliation. That's what he's getting at. Now, as if this wasn't hard enough, he continues. It's not just about not retaliating. It's more than that. Positively, look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So now he's quoting again. The Old Testament, but the Old Testament didn't say love your enemy and hate your, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It only said love your neighbor. Leviticus said love your neighbor, and the, and the, the context was uh, understood to be other fellow Israelites that were living among. I got to love my brothers and sisters within it. But there's those non-Jewish nations, there's those Gentile nations, and uh, you know they're 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 against us. And so if we're supposed to love our neighbors, maybe what that means is we can. Hate our enemies. And then some teachers were even teaching, you should hate your enemies. God wants you to hate those enemies. Love your neighbor, hate those enemies. So again, they were expanding this to fit their, the, the convenience of where their hearts were at. And Jesus corrects them. Let's keep going. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So love your neighbor and love your enemy because sometimes your neighbor is your enemy and I want you to see your enemies as your neighbors. That's what he's saying here. In the book of Luke, he tells us a parable of the Good Samaritan. Anybody hear of it? Jewish man gets beaten up by robbers, left on the side of the road for dead. A priest walks by. His neighbor, a fellow Israelite, 
sees him. I gotta, I gotta keep going. Keeps going. A temple worker comes by, sees him in the ditch, keeps going. And then finally a Samaritan comes by. Samaritans were racially and ethnically uh, opposed enemies of the Jewish people. They, they saw each other as enemies. And here comes a Samaritan, sees this man, has compassion on him, goes to him, bandages him up, throws him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, and says to the innkeeper, take care of this guy for as long as he needs to be cared for. Here's some money. And Jesus ends this parable by saying, who is a neighbor to the guy who is in the ditch? And the answer was, it was a Samaritan. It was the enemy who treated the Jew as a neighbor. So in other words, there is nobody outside of the realm of neighbor. If you see somebody in need, if you see somebody who's hurting, if somebody's opposed to you, it doesn't matter. They're all your neighbor, and therefore the call is to love them. Love your neighbor and love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. So he's not saying that you earn a place in God's family by loving your enemies. He's not saying if you love your enemies, then you can be a child of your Father in heaven. That's not what he's saying. And we know this because earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, he made it clear that you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Like He's talking to people who have already been part of his family, part of the kingdom of God. Adopted into his family through faith. So he's saying that show that you are part of the family of God by doing what your father does. Be like your dad. Show the world that you're like your dad. Show you the world what your dad is like. That's what he's saying. If you've trusted in me and you've been born again, if you put in this kingdom of God, be like your father in heaven who does what? He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There are people out there enjoying the sun, going to the beach, getting their suntans, and do not acknowledge God for that sun. Say, ah, that God stuff ain't for me. While they're enjoying the benefits of what God does. And God still sends the sun to shine on them for them to enjoy it. He sends the rain to water crops so farmers can make money and sell the crops and it be distributed around the world and we can eat at our tables. And there's people eating those crops that are there because of the rain that God sends and they do not acknowledge, they do not give thanks, they do not believe that it was from God. Don't give him the credit. And Jesus is saying, and God is still sending that rain on the evil and the good. Be like him. Towards your enemies. And how are we to love our enemies? Two practical ways that we see from this passage. Number one, pray for those who persecute you. You see that in verse 44? Pray for those who persecute you. So prayer. Pray even for those who persecute you. Who oppose you, abuse you. Around the world, Christians have suffered greatly for their faith. In ways that we're not too familiar with in America. People are still being killed for their faith in Jesus tortured for their faith in Jesus, losing jobs, being disowned by their families. And, and Jesus is saying, pray for them. Pray for them. Some of them being crucified while the nails are being driven in. Pray for them. Pray for God to get a hold of their hearts. Pray for God's grace to, to be poured out on them, for them to see how much God loves them. Pray that for them. That's crazy stuff. Imagine that. Imagine that. 
A book I read last year, I know a couple of you guys have read that, called Tortured for Christ. It's about a, a, a pastor who was uh, taken by the communists at the end of World War II and beyond, and he was, he was imprisoned. He was tortured for his faith in Christ. I recommend reading it. It's pretty brutal, but you just see this love for your enemies that God gives you when you're in the furnace of persecution. But again, it doesn't have to be that extreme. It could be people who are against you. In any way, and Jesus is saying, pray for them, because praying for somebody is one of the greatest expressions of love for them. Is it not? And I'm not saying pray curses down on them, right? We're good at that. Get them, God. Not that. But God, bless them. Show them how much you love them. I want them to experience your grace just like I've experienced your grace. That's hard, right? Because when somebody's opposed to us, we're like, get them, God. Let, Let them get all that they deserve. But show me grace. Show me lots of grace. Show them grace too, Lord. Prayer is a, man, one of the greatest expressions of love for somebody. But it's also a way to grow in your love for somebody. So if you don't feel that love, you're like, God, I can't pray for this person because I kind of hate them. As you pray for them, your love for them grows. Your heart grows. Because you start to see them the way God sees them, with a heart of compassion. You start to see that they're stuck, that they're struggling with somebody. Oftentimes when I'm sitting with couples, I, I ask them, are you more offended by what they did than you are concerned about what they're stuck in? Because if you're more offended, then you don't have God's heart for them. Because if they're stuck in something, it's got to be passion, compassion, compassion. Not offense, offense, how dare they offend me, how dare they have these issues that bother me. Compassion, compassion, compassion. And that comes through prayer. That comes through prayer. Another way we love somebody is to do them good. To serve them practically. If our Father in heaven makes the rain and the sun shine to bless people, how can we bless those who are opposed to us? How can we practically serve them? So you, you, you got a co-worker who's, who's, a, who's, a, who's a jerk that you got a conflict with, that you're always on a different page with. And you find out that they have a financial situation, struggling. How can you bless them? Can you leave them an envelope anonymously with some cash just to bless them? Anonymously because it might come off manipulative if you just give it to them. You know, we don't like each other, but I'm going to give you some money to show you how good of a person I am. Right? Give them anonymously. And not just a hypothetical. I'm not, uh, maybe that's a real scenario for some of you though. Let's keep going. Verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he's saying regular people in the world, even tax collectors, scoundrels, corrupt, selfish, greedy tax collectors are good at loving the people who love them back. They can do that. The mafia is good at caring for people who care for them, right? Anybody watch mafia movies? You see that. They kick, 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 take, what am I trying to say? They take care of each other. I said that too fast. Corrupt politicians are good at taking care of those who take care of them, at loving each other. Everybody can do that. Jesus like, big whoop. So you love the people who love you. Big deal. It doesn't show that you're part of my kingdom. It doesn't show that you have the resurrection spirit in you. Big deal. So you love your spouse when your spouse loves you back. Big deal. That's what he's saying. Big whoop. Clapping for you. Sarcastically, he's saying, 
If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Now, that's interesting in verse 47. If you greet only your own people, because it's not just about when you're being, you know, overtly persecuted, you know, loving them by praying for them. He gets down to the nitty-gritty details of everyday life by talking about who you greet. Can you greet the person that, you know, you're in conflict with when you see them in a grocery store, or do you pretend like you don't see them and you turn and walk away and get in the other aisle? Or at church, you're like, oh, man, why'd they have to come today? Oh, let me pretend like I'm in, I'm, I'm in a conversation with somebody else. So they walk by. No, greet them. Step out. Greet them. Say hello. Welcome them. Be hospitable to them. Acknowledge them. Notice them. Pray for them. Bless them. To be perfect as God is perfect. So in this context, perfect doesn't mean moral perfection where you don't have any more need for change. That's not what he's referring to. He's, he's talked in other parts of this teaching, this Sermon on the Mount, about how we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness, how we are to be poor in spirit. All of that means that we, we recognize that we haven't, haven't arrived. So when he says be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, that word perfect um, has the idea of all-encompassing or complete. In your love for people, be all-encompassing like your Father in heaven is all-encompassing. He includes even his enemies in his love. You be like that. Love even your enemies, even those who are opposed to you. Be different. Show that you're part of a different family. Show that you're living for a different reward than the rewards of this world. Because that's what makes people enemies, isn't it? When they get in the way of something that we want. That's when they become our enemies. When they threaten something that is important to us. The rewards of this world, when they're threatened, that person becomes an enemy. Might be the respect that we think we're due that they're not given to us. So they become an enemy and we have trouble loving them because respect has become too important. Fitting in at school, you know, one, our attempts to fit in at school, one person's in the way, one person makes fun of us or, you know, spreads this rumor about us, they become an enemy because our acceptance at school has become super important. We're living for the rewards of the acceptance of classmates. When my kids are fighting over a toy or something, it's, it's not just about disciplining the behavior of hitting each other or being angry at each other. It's why was this toy so important for you right now? Don't live for the rewards of this toy, right? You're living for the rewards of a different kingdom, Jesus is saying. And when you're living for the rewards of a different kingdom, then anybody who opposes any other things that are, that are important to us, we can hold loosely to them and go, that's okay. I, I, I can love you anyway because I got another reward that's ultimately most important to me. Even our very lives... When they are threatened, Jesus said, you can love people because you know the resurrection is real. The resurrection is true. The resurrection is waiting for you. You can hold loosely to your very life when it's threatened. And the person who takes your life doesn't have to be a person you hate. Crazy stuff. Impossible if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And offer his spirit to those who've trusted in him. I'm going to call the band up. And, and, and I want us to reflect on, on a few things. N- number one, 
Do you have somebody who is opposed to you right now, who you are at odds with right now? Again, it could be somebody like overtly is an enemy because they are just against your ideals, they're against your faith. Or it could be somebody in your family that you're just at odds with right now, in conflict with right now. It could be somebody at work that got the promotion that you didn't get, they took credit that they knew you should have gotten. I mean, situations could go on and on. But is there somebody right now? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Most of us have somebody, I'm sure. Is there somebody? Somebody you're in a fight with? Just like, think about it. How do you love them? Where's that question? Put that back up, please. Jeff. What do we need to love like this? Like Jesus just talked about. How do you love that person that you just thought of? Could be a sibling. What do you need? I'm going to give you three things. Number one, you need wisdom from Christ. You need the mind of Christ to see them the way he sees them and to know and discern how to love them. On one end of the spectrum, you are to avoid retaliation you are to avoid this sense of, you know, I'm going to get my justice. On the other end of the spectrum, you, you want to avoid enabling somebody to continue in sin and, and, and destructive behavior because you just want them to like you, so I'm just going to keep enabling it. Both of them are selfish. Both ends of the you know, spectrum are, are selfish. So you need wisdom to know, how do I navigate this? This person really hurt me. How do I, how do I navigate forgiveness? And building a relationship, maybe we're not ready for trust yet. How, how do I navigate this? You need wisdom. You need prayer. You need counsel from other people, perhaps. You need wisdom. But in order to gain wisdom, you need, second thing, joy in Christ above all else. You need to find your joy in the reward that is Jesus. Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven so that we could get God. We could get Jesus. We could get Him. Not so that we could just live like everybody else and He just blesses our, our efforts to get wealthy and successful and, and whatnot. We get Him as our ultimate treasure. And when our joy is rooted in Him and He can't be stolen from us because He's risen from the dead, then everything else we hold loosely, all the rewards of this world we hold loosely, then we can see clearly, oh, yeah, okay, so I don't, I don't really need respect right now. So, God, how do I love this person who's not respecting me? Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't really need the credit that I, I, I thought I should get for this project that I just worked on. So how do I love my, my boss? How do I love my coworker right now? I, I don't really need my spouse to acknowledge this, that, and the other thing. So, God, okay, so now, that, now, I've, now that I've got that out of the way, now that my joy is back rooted in you, Jesus, now give me the wisdom to know how to love this person, this spouse of mine, with what they're stuck in. You, you know what I mean? You, you have to remove the thing that you're clinging so tightly to because it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to cause you to not be able to see clearly how to love that person. But then how do you find your joy in Christ above all things? I can't just tell you to go do it and you write it down. Oh, good. Thanks, Chris. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to find my joy in Jesus above all other things. 
What do you need from first? Well, thirdly, lastly, which is the foundation of it all, that knowing Christ loved you. That's the foundation, knowing that he loved you. Knowing how much he loved you as his enemy. The Bible says when we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we had our backs turned against him, he came after us. He wasn't waiting for Chris to clean up his act. He wasn't waiting and saying, oh, look, Chris is trying really hard. Maybe I'll make a step towards him. He came after me while my back was turned on him. And I was saying, God, I'm going to live and I'm going to enjoy the sun and the rain and not give you credit for it. And yet he came after me. He comes after you. He loves you. All the crap that you've done in your life, he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. All the sin that we've been guilty of, the stuff that we're most ashamed of, he sees it, he knows it, and he says, oh, if you only knew how much I love you. And when, when that sinks into the uh, bottom of our souls, then we can go, ah, and you're my reward. You're where I find my joy. Nobody can threaten anything that's more important than you. And therefore, I'm free to love anybody. So we're going to receive communion in a moment. If you did not receive the elements when you walked in, maybe because you came in the back door or... Uh, first of all, if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're still exploring the claims of Christ, no pressure to receive communion with us. We don't want you to do anything that wouldn't be sincere. Um, but if you do want to and you did not get the elements, put your hand up and the ushers will get it in your hands. Keep them up until they get it in your hands. This cracker represents Jesus' body. A body that he put on that he didn't have to put on. God of heaven stepped off his throne to put on a body to come after us. And that body lived a perfect life in obedience to the Father obeying the law of Moses perfectly because we couldn't do it. He did what was unfair to him. He put all that on him. Then he gets falsely accused by his own people. He's arrested. He's beaten. He's punched. He's mocked. He's spit on. He doesn't retaliate. He could have called down legions of angels to destroy those enemies, but he didn't. He withheld his hand. He withheld his power. He suffered unjustly like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was scourged, his back ripped open by a cat of nine tails and then he's nailed to a cross. And all the while, all the while, all the while, He's loving the people in front of him. He's saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He says to the criminal next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He sees his mother hurting down there and he says to the disciple, John, you, you, you take care of my mom moving forward. She's, she's not your mom. Others centered the whole way through while he's suffering for you and I. The book of Hebrews says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. Perfect union with his father, but also perfect union with this thing called the church that he purchased with his blood. Made up of you and I. The joy set before him. The joy of reconciling his enemies to himself. Broken, messed up people like you and I. That's what he had in mind.
I'm going to endure that. Win this thing called the church made up of broken people. That's what we're remembering. He loves us. He loves us. Let's receive the, the cracker together. Let's take the juice. The juice represents his blood that was spilled. Blood that makes atonement, covers over sin. Since the Old Testament, that was the system, a sacrificial system, animals being sacrificed. But all of that was a foreshadow to the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate lamb, Jesus himself, whose blood, spotless, pure blood, covers over our sins. Atonement is a fancy word, but think of it like this, at one made, at one, at one mint, at one, it makes us one with God, his blood. Takes enemies and makes them children, sons and daughters. Let's receive this together. So now, I want to encourage us to sing another song together and really let God move in our hearts, fill us with his love, to give us the power to go love our enemies and go love those who are opposed to us. So, so let's just worship a little bit, a little bit longer together.